Good evening. You guys are heroes. I don't think I've ever experienced more staying at home weather uh, more than today, so thanks for coming out. I almost didn't come. I was like, I don't want to walk down the hallway. It's going to be drafty. No, but yes, yeah, so I appreciate you being here. Um, yeah, so just pray that God shows up too, like he, like he tends to do. Let's pray together in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, do not trust every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they belong to God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus come in the flesh belongs to God. And every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus does not belong to God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist that, as you heard, is to come, but in fact is already in the world. You belong to God, children, and you have conquered them. For the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Father, we ask that you would, with great generosity and in the name of Jesus, your Son, send your Spirit upon us. Come, Holy Spirit, help us to discern, uh, to sort and sift, to notice what is from you and what is not. Teach us to recognize you, to recognize your voice. Also, I ask that you would alert us to the wiles of the enemy in our midst, that he would be defeated through the blood of the Lamb, through Jesus, we may be set free to live in the truth, to live in the glorious freedom of the sons and daughters of God. And we ask all of this through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So tonight, um, today, this afternoon, we're talking about discernment and spiritual warfare. Next week, we're going to be talking about... um, healing and memories and wounds, stuff like that. We could do 12, a 12 part series on these two talks. Uh, so I do apologize that this is going to be kind of like, blah, kind of throw a lot at you. If you want um, more information or even like podcasts to listen to, stuff like that, of people that are uh, more prepared and better at this than me, I can help you out with that. Um, but we'll just kind of wade into it for tonight. The copies that I had in the back are a little faint. Um, I'm kidding. It's just a blank piece of paper. So there, there's, no, uh, there's no handout this week, but if you needed paper, we set some out. Um, if you need to write stuff down. So we talk about discernment. Discernment means noticing. It means telling the difference between things. Um, the need for discernment is predicated on the reality that there is a war going on. There's an actual spiritual war taking place right now, right here, and we're in the middle of it. Now, a quick preface as we move through this, this, none of this needs to be at all scary. Because if you know whose side of the war you're on and how he did uh, and what he's doing, you have no reason to be afraid. Okay? So, if any of this feels heavy, just ask God to show you the truth and you can kind of shake that off. So it's important, but it's not, it's not like grave. This should not feel dreadful. In some ways, it should be kind of freeing and exciting. So there's a war going on right now, right here, in your life, in my life, in your head, in your heart, in my head, and in my heart. When is that going on? All the time. 
So in some ways, the most dangerous thing to be would just to not, to not know, right? To not know that there's a war going on, that's the worst place to be. So you're already a step up. Great job. So uh, there's a war going on. We're being prowled around. That's the language that uh, is used in the first letter of Peter, that the devil prowls, prowls around like a roaring lion. So he's trying to find his way in. And Again, there's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to worry about. But we do want to be aware of this. That's important. So in the midst of this, this war, um, as we read in, in 1 John, John is telling the early Christians to discern the spirits, to discern, to notice what's coming from God and what is not coming from God. So we'll talk a lot about God and the enemy. The enemy would include the devil, demons, evil spirits, all of that. So there are things that come from God and there are things that do not come from God. Okay? We recognize we talk about, and I've been preaching about this a lot probably in the past year, but we talk about temptation. Everybody believes that there's temptation, right? Like you recognize like, yeah, I'm readily tempted to stuff. But realize if, if you are tempted, then that means there is a tempter. Like somebody is doing this tempting. They're not, it's not just floating around. It's not radon, you know, and you're like, you have to get your house checked for temptations because like they're extra thick here. No, so there's an, a force. There is, a, you know, a, a force actively tempting us. And as we talk about discernment, um, yeah, it's really important, as we talk about all the time, that we are tempted more often in regards to thinking things more than we are into doing things. So most temptation that we experience, that you and I experience, whether we realize it or not, has less to do with um, doing bad things and more to do with thinking things that are not true and are not helpful. So... Yeah, we really have to, um, I don't, you don't have to do anything, but gosh, it's really helpful and freeing to become aware that there is this, all this dynamic going on in our minds and in our hearts. Because if your mind and your heart feels kind of like a mess sometimes, it's like, well, there's a war going on. So that's okay. That's normal. There's a certain sort of a battleground there. Becoming um, aware of that is really important because not all of your thoughts are from you, right? Not all of your thoughts are from you. We would say that there are three voices, generically, three voices speaking into your life. One is just your own, the things that you think, the things that come to mind naturally from yourself. The other, of course, is God. Each of us is anointed to be a prophet. At, At your baptism, you got anointed. One of your jobs is to be a prophet. And a prophet is somebody who listens to God and speaks his word, his message into the world. So if we're going to be a prophet, that means, that means God must be speaking into our lives. So God also speaks into your life in different ways. But also, the enemy speaks. Now this is tough for us because, as we joke about, you don't have different thought voices, right? Like it's not like your voices are just normal. They're your voice. Uh, and then God's voice are like nice James Earl Jones, like, oh, Simba, you know, like a nice deep, full, you're like, oh, nice God, that's God, I know him. And then the enemy's like, hey, <laughs> you know, hey. You're so stupid. And you're like, no, I know that voice. That's not from God. No, you only have one thought voice. So it all, you know, unless we are aware of this, it all feels like it's your own thoughts. So if sometimes you feel like, gosh, I have just the meanest, craziest thoughts, like, okay, maybe, yeah. But you probably have some help with that. You're probably not doing that all on your own. So that should feel a little bit like a relief. So again, it all feels the same. It all feels like it's, like it's our own thoughts. 
So the question, of course, is, well, how do you tell the difference, right? Um, primarily, we tell the difference, um, yeah, through tone. You would say through the tone of it and through how it, it comes to impact our hearts. Now, you would think you would just, the difference would be like well, whether it's true or not. But unfortunately, that's not, that's not a very helpful metric, whether it's true or not. Because almost all temptation um, or accusation or ideas from the enemy, they're going to have some truth in them, if not a lot of truth in them, or even if not 100% true. Um, but they will be used in such a way as to try to separate you from God. So remember when Jesus is tempted in the desert. Three different times the devil speaks to him. But he also quotes scripture to him. Like he quotes the Bible to him. And the Bible's true. It's inspired by God. But he's twisting it and trying to use it in a way that, that tricks Jesus or leads him away from his identity as a son. So just because it's true doesn't mean it's coming from God. That's really important. Um, and also just because it has something to do with like sin and salvation, stuff like that, certainly doesn't mean it's coming from God. Unfortunately, some of you were raised in a generation where it was like the harsher the idea is about you and how bad you are, the truer it was, right? Right? Anything that said like you're terrible and, and uh, God must be kind of mad at you just seemed like, yeah. <laughs> and we, even, we have this false notion of humility. Humility means I'm bad, which is just 100% malarkey. That's not true. So, just again, just because it involves truth doesn't mean it's coming from God. So again, we notice the tone. So at base, things that come from God, ideas, um, feelings, or desires that come from God, they lead us closer to God. Okay? They draw us closer to God. Things that do not come from God lead us away from God and tend to isolate us. Um, now, whether we're running headlong away from God or moving towards God, there's, there's ways in which, yeah, God works differently. So if someone was just running 100% full speed away from God, God might try to, to really turn them in a way that might feel kind of aggressive, to turn them away from what they're doing, but his desire is always to bring them home, right? So if my nephew... My sister lives in Seattle. If he's running out towards the street, she's not going to be like, sweetie, hey, buddy, like, come back. You know, she's going to be like, hey, stop. You know, so it might feel aggressive. But the goal is to bring him back to God. So anything that seems like it is leading you closer to God, well, that's probably from God. Anything that makes you feel, uh, yeah, that leads you away from God, that feels heavy, that feels lonely, that feels sad, and not in a healthy sad, but in a, a kind of a wretched sadness. Things that put up obstacles that make you lose hope, those are not from God. One of the titles of the Holy Spirit is the encourager, the comforter. So God speaks in a way that gives hope. It gives us peace. It gives us confidence. Also, importantly, anything that makes you feel like you're alone it's not from God. So any voice, any movement that makes it feel like I'm all alone, nobody understands me, it's not from God. 
Also, the Spirit of God makes you understand and makes you recognize that you're good. Now, even when he convicts you of your sin, right? so God does convict us of our sin at times, but always in a way that is ennobling, that shows us that we are good, that we don't have to live like this, that we're, it's almost like a friend being like, hey, this isn't you. Like, you know, you're, not you're better than this in a pushy way, but just like, hey, I know you. And you're not like this, so what, what's going on? So even when God convicts us of sin and we feel a sorrow for sin, the way he does it makes us feel like we can come home, we can come back to him. Remember Peter denies Christ three times, right, outside the, the trial and feels just great shame and, and sadness for what he's done. But then we fast forward after the resurrection, Peter and some of the other apostles are fishing and while they're fishing, Jesus appears on the shore, but at first they don't recognize him. And then John says, he sees Jesus and he recognizes him and he says, it is the Lord. And what does Peter do? He doesn't hunker down in the boat and be like, oh man, he's going to be so mad at me, you know, and like, oh, I don't even want to look at him. And what does he do? He pulls his clothes off and he jumps in, into the, does he pull clothes on or puts clothes on? He does something with clothes because he was lightly clad and he jumps into the lake and swims to Jesus. So even though he feels guilt for his sin, he just wants to be with Jesus. So even when God convicts us of our sin, he does so to bring us close to him. Okay? So, um, it's the tone of things that shows us what the truth is. Um, yeah, so let me give you an example. I, may, I think I may have preached about this before, so forgive me if I have. Uh, when I was in seminary, I was learning Spanish, and there was the parish I was helping out with had... Um, a Spanish Mass that they needed coverage for, so I practiced up, and then I went and celebrated Mass in Spanish. Um, have I told you about this before? A couple of you? Okay. Um, so, midway through, I'm doing pretty good, cranking along, didn't do a homily, but just, you know, praying the prayers, and it gets time for the Our Father, and uh, I flipped the page, but the missile, the book that I was using, wasn't quite the same as mine, and so the Little tabs in it were different. So I flipped the page, being like, all right, our father time. Everybody stands up, and I'm like, um, that's not the our father, you know? And so then I'm just, like, everybody's standing looking at me, and you don't have this experience at Mass, right? Only me, where everybody's looking. Literally, my stress dreams now are like, I can't get vested, and everybody's waiting, and I can't find the books. Like, I have literal nightmares about this. Anyway, so I'm there, and I, this, but this is real. So I'm there, and I can't, it's not the Our Father. And everybody's looking at me, and for what feels like one minute, I'm looking for the Our Father. One minute's a long time for everybody to be staring at you. And I can't find it, and I don't know how to say, like, at the Savior's command, informed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father. I don't know how to, that intro works, you know? So they're just looking at me, and eventually I'm like, um, Padre Nuestro, you know, I'm just like, our Father, you know, say it. And so then they're saying it, which is way worse, because now it's like there's a countdown, you know? And our Father's never seemed so short. And so I, at one point, I'm in the index. You never want to be in the index of that book during Mass. There's like 3,000 pages. It's horrible. So also... The index, weirdly, is also in Spanish, which I don't really speak. So I'm in the index, and I don't even know. Like, it's not going to say Our Father, page whatever. So you have to know, like, what part of the Mass is this? If they get done with the Our Father, I'm still flipping around. I can't find it. And then my body's like, hey, do you need some help? And I was like, probably not. And they're like, do you want us to start sweating? I was like, I don't think it, that it would be better. And my body's like, don't worry about it. And then every cell of my body's like, boosh, sweat. 
So I'm drenched with sweat. Everybody's staring at me. And then finally, I fi like, it was horrible. The whole thing probably lasted two minutes. But it was just like, uh, it was excruciating. So finished mass. And uh, I'm driving home, back, or, or back to the seminary, and just feeling heavy and feeling stupid. And the thoughts that are coming to mind are, yeah, why are you so stupid? Like, you're always doing this. Why can't you just do something right? Ideas like, you don't care about these people, because if you did, you would have prepared better. Like, you're lazy. And um, they all had to do with something that had happened, but, yeah, it was just really heavy, really discouraging. So just stopping there, I think you can see, based on what we're talking about, like, was God telling me any of that stuff? No, none of it. None of that was from God. Do you feel how heavy it is? It's telling me that I'm bad. It feels hopeless. Like, this is just what you're like. You're always doing this. You're never going to get better. The word always, unless it's something really, really loving, it's probably not from God. Why are you always? God probably doesn't start many sentences like that. So it just felt heavy. And I recognized that as I was driving. I was like, oh, okay, this is not, like... This is not from God. And so I just told God, like, hey, I, feel, I felt really embarrassed. I feel kind of dumb just kind of sharing with him what I had experienced there. And the idea that came to mind was God the Father saying to me, you just said Mass in Spanish. And he was just, like, stoked. It was like, you don't even speak Spanish. And you did it. Like, yeah, you paused, and, but you did it. And it was just so encouraging I felt like he was close to me. I just felt good. Like he saw me as something good, something beautiful. And he just was like, yeah, I mean, it's not perfect, but it's Spanish. You don't even speak Spanish. So for me, that was just such a touchstone of like, wow, what a difference. They're both talking about actually things, actual things that happened. But the interpretation of it was just day and night. And so discernment is noticing like what is and is not coming from God. And it makes a world of difference. Because at the end of the day, nothing changed. I didn't say it better or faster or not get lost. But God spoke the truth of that moment. He was just happy with me. He was proud of me. Right? So a lot is at stake in this. Because again, from, from breakfast to bedtime that day, all the externals were the same either way. But whether or not I was living in the truth, my experience of it would, would be radically different. Just so, so, so different. Um, yeah, so that's why discernment is just so important. Because it's, it, it helps us to live in the truth. We were talking about, well, if you came to Mass last night, you got different readings and there was a different homily. But today we were talking about blindness and what it means to be blind. Right, if you don't see that you're good, there's a, there's a blind spot there. And if you don't see that God is with you, there's a blind spot. But just notice there is a force at work all the time trying to make you blind. All the time, all the time, all the time. So that's why coming to an awareness of this is, is yeah, both important and, 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 uh, and helpful. So again, the question is not the content of ideas, it's the tone. Does this lead me to God? Do I feel loved? Do I feel known? Um, unfortunately, sometimes we don't, we don't really notice what's going on until we're really in it. Um, but yeah, more and more we can come to sense an awareness of this. Also going to talk just a little bit about, well, we're going to talk about a number of other things, but um, about what's called consolation and desolation. 
Have you heard of consolation and desolation? Are those phrases familiar? Not so much? Okay, great. So this is super important. Everybody, I repeat, everybody, even the saints, go through periods of both consolation and periods of desolation. What does that mean? Consolation is a time where you just feel like, yeah, just feel hopeful. I feel like God's here. I sense that he's close to me. There's a sense of peace, maybe, a lightness, a joy. Maybe I feel a sense of sorrow for my sins, but it's a hopeful sorrow, and it's a sorrow out of love. So I just feel, I feel faith, I feel love, I feel hope. Um, I have a sense of maybe ease or confidence in it. So that's what consolation is like. Some people have that a lot, some people not so much, but I think we can relate to a time where it's just, yeah, it's just like good stuff, yeah? Okay, the opposite is desolation. Desolation feels like, it feels heavy, it feels discouraging, usually feels kind of lonely. It feels just hard, like there's a sense of like, gosh, everything is hard. When we're in desolation, we don't want to do God stuff. You know, in consolation, maybe you're like, gosh, I need, to, I need to pray every day. I just need some time to pray every day. And there's a desire for that. Desolation, it's like, what's the point? Nothing ever happens. It's a waste of time. He's not coming. He doesn't care. So desolation, again, is heavy, and it leads us away from God. It discourages us. It makes things harder. Now, please remember what I said. Who goes through these two things? Everybody. So if you feel like you experience both of those at different times, welcome to humanity, okay? Join the club. We're all in this together. Now, sometimes we end up in desolation here because of things that we're doing. So maybe it's like, I'm just kind of blowing off the things that I had committed to. So I'm, just, I'm really not praying. I'm not spending any time with God. You know, if I was doing, I committed to do spiritual reading, stuff like that, I'm just not doing any of that. So sometimes that can end us up in a place of desolation. Also, usually physical suffering or emotional suffering um, plop us into a place of desolation. So when we're suffering in our bodies, in our minds, in our, in our hearts emotionally, we often end up in a place of desolation. So those things tend to be connected. Have you ever tried to pray when you're sick? It's just miserable, right? I mean, oftentimes it's just so hard. And oftentimes it's because you're in, you're in desolation. Okay, in this place of desolation, um, we cannot clearly hear what God is saying. Which doesn't mean that we're not hearing anything. We're hearing a lot of things. But we're not hearing God. So in desolation, the ideas that come most naturally to our minds, they're not from God. Because the ideas are, what's wrong with you? Why is this so hard for you? Why can't you just fill in the blank? Right? Desolation also wants to make you think like it's always been like this and it's always going to be like this. He's never shown up. You've never had a real prayer life. You're not, you, you call yourself a Christian, right? And it's never going to get any better. It's hopeless. Why do you even try? Desolation is just full of confusion, feels really helpless, and it's full of lies. So, what do we do when we're in a time of desolation? One important idea is that it's not your job to get yourself back to consolation. It's not your job to get yourself out of it. Um, in fact, oftentimes in the desolation, the lies will say, like, you've got to try harder. You've got to fix this. This is all on you. But you feel how lonely that is? 
just really, really lonely. So that's not from God either. So when we're in desolation, we just literally just, you just ask God to save you. You just admit like, I can't, I don't know what's going on. I'm really confused. God, I need you to save me. Show me the truth. And that's it. I say that's it and then I'm going to talk more about what, that's it. And also, <laughs> our job is to really, in some ways, reject the ideas that are coming to mind in that place because they're not true. So it's really not a time to be gathering information because we're just not seeing the truth. When you're in desolation, you're not seeing things clearly. So even though we experience both of these and the experiences are very, very real, consolation is true. It's accurate. It's reality. Desolation is not. It's not true. Because you're not alone. And you're not bad. And it's not going to be like this forever. And it hasn't always been like this. So in desolation, we recognize, like, I'm not seeing clearly. It's also sometimes helpful to remember the good things that God has done. To recognize, like, no, he's been there before. You know, if you ever keep a prayer journal, to bust that out and maybe look back at things that have happened in prayer or even call to mind times that you felt close to God. That can be helpful. It's helpful to talk to another person. Because when we talk to another person, we don't feel alone anymore. But it's not time to really, yeah, to believe the things that are coming to mind. In consolation, though, yeah, again, it feels like God's close. I feel hopeful. I just feel love. I feel peace. That's time to just soak it up, to soak up the truth of what God is doing. One important idea is that when you're in desolation, it's not a time to make plans or to make any big changes in your life. Because, see, you're not seeing clearly. So it's just you don't have good data coming in. So it's not a time to change or to plan. Sometimes you have to make a decision. You don't have a choice. But by and large, when you're in this place of desolation, it's just not a time to change things or make a choice. Again, because you're not seeing clearly. Okay, I have more stuff to talk about, but um, questions or thoughts at this point? Betty and then, and then Connie, if you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a phenomenon that pilots experience, and it probably has a name, and I don't know what it is. But if they're flying through rain, especially for an extended period of time, if the rain is coming in at an angle, eventually there's a sort of vertigo that can set in that says, like, I'm not, I'm not flying level anymore. And they'll look at their instruments, and the instruments say, yep, you're plumb level. Everything's fine. But this sense of vertigo can, can make, make them convinced, like, no, I'm flying at an angle. And so they will change the way they're flying to adjust to what feels right, even though their instruments tell them it's all wrong. And people have crashed before because, um, yeah, because it just feels so convincing. So if you're in a job or something, and you've been in this job for some time, and you're just in this place that just feels really, really heavy, really confusing, just really scary, hopeless, lonely. Yes, you might have a really hard job. And, and you might need to change. But at that moment, it's not time to make that decision. Because again, you don't have good data. Now, at the same time, in the midst of really hard things, God can just give us a sense of peace and confidence. A sense that he's with us. So maybe you're in that same job. It's really, really hard like, this is dysfunctional. This is not a healthy workplace. 
But at the same time, there's a sense of like, God's with me, and I'm going to be okay. And uh, yeah, I don't think I should work this job anymore. But those are very different. Do you see that? So it's a question of, do I feel alone? I'm all on my own. Do I feel hopeless? Or is there a sense of like, no, yes, this is really hard, but I have the sense that, that God is with me. If you feel like you've, you've, you've done the wrong thing in the past or made the wrong decision, like, don't. don't. We're not here to, dr- to dredge all that up. Don't, don't beat yourself up over that. Um, but yeah, God tends to lead us through peace. He tends to lead us through hope. Um, and so if we don't have peace, we don't have hope, we don't have some love there, then, then we're just, um, yeah, we're not clearly receiving God's direction. And so it's just not a time to make a change. Does that make sense, kind of? Um, yeah. Betty, you were going to say something? Yeah, so both, both, yeah, both the enemy and God will, will speak to us about our sins. Um, but the enemy will use shame. So sometimes we talk about the difference between guilt and shame. Um, and people use these words different ways. But guilt is a sense of, I've done something wrong. So it's a sense of sadness for what we've done wrong. But guilt leads us back to God. So guilt says, I've done something bad, but it, it, it moves us back to God. Shame says... No, you didn't do something bad. You're bad. Like, yeah, what you did was bad, but you did it because you are bad. So you see, shame is more personal. It also makes you feel like you are not good, so it's an accusation. Um, and it, it's to lead you to hide and to isolate. And so those are, I mean, they both have to do with sin. But unfortunately, I mean, even to just apologize on behalf of priests, priests have shamed you in the past. And I'm not saying here at OLPH or up at Sacred, like in general, that's something that we priests have uh, unfortunately done a lot of. And it's the laziest form of preaching and it's just to make you feel bad for being bad. And I, I, do, I do apologize for any way in that I've done that and for ways that you've gotten that from other priests, I apologize. Uh, because the intention was to motivate, but it just, it's not helpful. Do you sense that? So the enemy, especially for you folks, like look at you, a bunch of nerds are here on a Sunday afternoon, right? Listen and talks about prayer. So the enemy's not going to tempt you to go do horrible things. No, but he's going to tempt you to do stuff that has to do with God, but in a way that's just mean. In a way that makes you feel inadequate, that makes you feel alone, that makes you feel scared. Like, I have to go do all these things. I would argue that many times um, God is asking you to maybe slow down. And the enemy's asking you to do even more. Maybe it's all good stuff, but he's just asking you to do more. I know as a priest, that's a, a very common temptation for priests. It's like you're not doing enough. You have to try harder. And the enemy wants me to think that I am, I am your savior. You're welcome, right? I've come to save you. And I have to try really hard. And also, he makes me mad at you because you're not, it's not working. Like I try to manipulate you and you're not doing good enough. And now you're the problem, right? And, ah, I don't feel like a good priest. Ah. <laughs> anyway. You know, so the enemy can, can use things that seem very good, but again, to shame you, to make you feel, yeah. The, at the end of the day, it's to make you feel bad and isolated. The two basic, at the end, at the bottom of all the lies and the accusations are, there's something wrong with you, and you're all alone. There's something wrong with you, and you're all alone. Now, there's a, a, a million and one variations of that. 
Whereas what does the Spirit of God say? It's the opposite. You are good. And because you're good, I love you. But also, I am here. Right? You're not alone. I'm here, and I'm not going anywhere. Okay, other thoughts, questions? We got a big sigh. Yeah. You're saying alone from other people? No. Yeah, I, I think what you're. She, so she, Kathy was saying, there's times that she just wants you want to be alone. I mean, whether it's away from other people, but even just like in a place of kind of solitude. And so no, that's not a. Um, what would you say? A lot of different things. To be alone with God, Jesus went off to be alone with God. But again, he's not a hundred percent alone. Right? He's still with God. There's an old, oh gosh, I don't know. I know quotes, but I don't know who said them. Um, Saint so-and-so said, uh, a Christian is never less alone than when he's alone. Meaning there's this place of solitude where you are 100% in communion. You're not alone at all. So yeah, to go to be alone with God is important. Now also, unfortunately, we also have this place of, of desolation of sin in us that can feel kind of like the default place that we settle into that's like, I have to do it all on my own. I have to figure this out. And so that place of aloneness is not, is not healthy or holy. And sometimes we choose that place because we're afraid that if we really turn to God, he's not going to show up. You know, people that have experienced abandonment in ways in their life tend to have just this lonely place inside of them that, that feels almost comfortable because it's like, as long as I don't hope that anyone's going to come, then, I, then I, I'm not going to be disappointed. So I'm just going to choose that place. But that place, and many of us know it, it's a place of desolation, right? Because in that place, nobody's coming. You're all alone. You have to figure it out. You have to try harder. It's heavy. It's confusing. And so from that place even, what we want to do is, yeah, to cry out to God, to tell him, God, I need you. And I don't want to live, I don't want to live like that anymore. So teach me how to be a son. Teach me how to be a daughter. Other thoughts, questions? I'm going to talk just a little more and then um, might have a little more time for questions. Okay, so we're already kind of talking in this, but what the enemy tends to do is he, he lies to you. Okay. Jesus calls the enemy the father of lies. Uh, God the Father is the father of mercies, which is a great title. The enemy is the father of lies. Ugh. Anyway, he lies to you. He tends to lie to you a lot about God, about others, and about your identity. Okay? So he lies to you about God, he lies to you about other people, and he lies to you about, about your identity. The goal, again, is to isolate you and make you feel bad, to make you feel ashamed. He also accuses you. He accuses you of things that aren't true. So he is called the accuser, which is, again, just terrible names. Ugh. In the book of Revelation, it says, the accuser, the accuser of our brother is cast out, who night and day accused them before God. They have defeated him by the blood of the, the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So the angels of God fight against Satan and they kick him out and they say, no more accusations from you, you're out. Okay, so the enemy lies to us um, about ourselves, about God. So God doesn't really care. He doesn't know you, he doesn't love you, he's not coming. Right, those are all lies. You can just feel it. Um, 
Each of us believe lies about ourselves. Next week we'll talk about kind of how those lies often come to be. They usually come to be in a place of woundedness. But even as I say this sentence, like I'll say a sentence and you just fill in the blank for yourself with the first thing that comes to mind. Okay? Why are you so... Fill in the blank. So maybe you have an answer, maybe you don't. Maybe you have a lot of answers. If the answer is not really, really good, I promise you that whatever came to mind is a lie. It's not true. Do you feel how heavy, it just feels heavy, feels lonely, whatever it is? Why are you so, whatever it is? That's a lie. It's not true. Why are you so needy? Why are you so stupid? Why are you so dirty? Why are you such a mess up? Whatever it is, it's not true. So there's a great freedom in coming to notice these things. Um, yeah, another way in which maybe you can notice lies is um, if you say to yourself the sentence, and again, I'll have you fill in the blank, it's, I have to, whatever. I have to fill in the blank. Do it on my own. Try harder. Figure it out. If it feels heavy, if it feels lonely, that have to, whatever that is, that feels pushy, feels heavy, heavy, lonely, hopeless, it's not from God, it's not true. So what's important to do now is as we recognize lies about ourselves, about God, and have to's, have to's you could describe as um, commitments, sometimes they're called vows, Sometimes we make these commitments to try to protect ourselves. I have to is the opposite, of, the opposite of an I have to would be I can't. I can't rely on other people. Right? I can't show people who I truly am. I can't show my emotions. Right? I can't get my hopes up. All those I can'ts are commitments um, that lead us to just being really lonely. So if any of this feels heavy, just kind of like we'll shake it off for a second. Good news. Jesus Christ uh, is both God and man. Amen. On your behalf and my behalf, he has confronted the enemy face to face and has defeated him. Amen. He has risen from the dead victorious and he has given that victory to you in your baptism. Amen. You have a new identity. You and Jesus are one thing. You have become united. His life, his love, and his authority lives in you. Amen. So you have authority now. And not just some authority, like you have the authority of Jesus Christ in you. It's alive. St. Paul is talking about authority here. And he says, he says, for although we are in the flesh, we do not battle according to the flesh. For the weapons of our battle are not flesh, but are enormously powerful, capable of of destroying fortresses. We destroy arguments and every pretension raising itself against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. And we are ready to punish every disobedience once your obedience is complete. You see, he is pumped up as he's writing this. So you have been given a tremendous authority, which means you have the authority to renounce and reject lies. We've done this in, in, in Mass before. 
So if, you know, we say like, why am I so, whatever your fill in the blank was, you can say, because you have this authority, and our authority is always in Jesus. It's not in me, Father Scott, it's not in yourself. So I say, in the name of Jesus, I reject the lie that I'm too needy. In the name of Jesus, I reject the lie that I'm helpless. In the name of Jesus, I reject the lie that I'm stupid, that I have no future, that things are hopeless, that it's always going to be like this, that no one knows me, that no one loves me, that nobody's coming, that I'm all on my own. In the name of Jesus, I reject that lie. And that lie does not have authority. You have, you have a power over it. We'll talk next time a little bit about sometimes where these lies settle in and, and uh, yeah, other ways to really allow God to draw them out. But you have authority over these lies. You also have the authority to break any commitment or agreement that you've made. Okay? So again, if I experience something painful, some, some sort of abandonment, and I just determine, like, I can't, I'm not going to need help anymore. Because I needed help and nobody showed up. And that's very painful. Amen? Just terrible. So, because of that pain, I tend, we tend to make commitments in our pain to try to protect us. Unfortunately, though, they, they tend to um, really just interrupt the love of God for us. So, me saying, I'm not going to need help anymore. Well, like, how is that going to work with me and God? Not well, right? Because do I need help from him? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can nod your head as hard as you want because, yeah, I need a bunch, right? Does he want to help me? Yeah. He wants to be a father. And so my commitment to not need help is, is not doing anybody any favors. It's, it's isolating me and it's going to end me up in this place of desolation a lot. So I have the authority to break that commitment, even if I made it. So I can say, in the name of Jesus, I break any commitment I've made to not need help. Now, there's a way in which sometimes we need healing to let that sink in even deeper, to be free of that even more, and we'll talk about that next time. But you have authority to break those commitments. So again, when, he asks, when you start this sentence and you fill in the blank, I'm never going to, you know, anything that comes after that that feels heavy, lonely, scary, or I, I always have to have it figured out, know all the right answers. I can't ever let people, yeah, see that I'm weak, that I need help. Those are commitments, they're agreements, and you have the authority to break those in Jesus Christ. Um, I realize this is just a lot that I'm kind of throwing at you. So, questions, thoughts? Okay, so even just to recognize, like, or I'm throwing all this at you, it might be new. If you feel right now like, okay, I have to remember all this and figure it all out and do a really good job of it, just even notice those ideas. Do they feel a little lonely, a little heavy? I'd say yeah. So, you're not alone. God's fighting for you. These things are helpful, and, and hopefully they're kind of hopeful. It's like, oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, there's stuff going on in me that's going to be helpful to notice. And it's exciting, like, yeah. You have authority. Uh, heaven is alive in you. The power of God is in you. So you don't have anything to be afraid of. <laughs> I get the sense that the devil is really pissed off that we're having this meeting right now. <laughs> like, 
really not a fan. <laughs> but they can go to hell, right? Like, I don't really care. So he, he's not enjoying this. This is not good for him. Like, as we come awake to the fact that, oh, there's a, there's a fight going on. And again, you don't have to be afraid. The enemy has really one weapon at the end of the day, and that's fear. And it's not even real. And so if, you don't, if you're, you're not afraid of him, he really, he's really got nothing left. His hands are tied. Yeah. Your, your have to is what? I have to what? I have to get better. Get. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think, so each, I would say each moment you have to, to discern, I would say, um, as far as speaking up for things, I think you have to have some hope that it's going to be helpful. So speaking up for the truth is different than telling somebody off, right? So if, if there's, if in my heart, you know, this is speaking for me, if in my heart there's a place of judgment, superiority, they're dumb, I'm smart, they're wrong, I'm right, I can't speak from that place because whatever comes out is not going to be it's not going to be the voice of God. If I don't have a, a genuine sense of concern for that person and love for that person, I shouldn't say anything. Because what's going to come out is not going to be from God. I, and in fact, I might shame them and judge them and dismiss them. Right? So shaming, judging, dismissing, trying to control, trying to force, none of that's from God. So I think that's the question of, I can speak up as long as there's an authentic concern for this person Maybe I have some, 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 some senses. I'm, I'm doing with this with God. I'm not all on my own. And I'm not doing it from a place of righteousness where I, you know, I, I'm doing it from a position of judgment against them. Does that make sense? Sure. You might be right. Yeah, but vice versa, it's not, you know, it's not your job and not my job to save the world. And we, we live in a place where it might be about baby steps, you know, doing what you can. And at the end of the day, one rule, no matter the situation, 100%, is you have to love them. So if you can't speak with love, you know, our grandmas all said it. Not that if you can't say something nice, don't say something at all, because sometimes it's not going to feel nice. But if there's not love anywhere in it, yeah, we might have to, might have to hold back. We're going to, I think we need to shift into prayer time. Um, last time we did kind of meditation with the scriptures. Today's not going to be anything specific. If, if you notice anything stirring in your heart during the last, whatever, 40 minutes, I would, I would talk to God about that. Even just invite him into that place, whatever's going on there. You can just even kind of do a scan of yourself now of like, hey, how am I doing? Sometimes that's helpful for me. Even just imagine God looking at me uh, with care and him just saying, 
hey, how you doing? Like that gives my heart a freedom to just bring, bring whatever's going on. And so if, if that's helpful, great, but we're just going to kind of hang out for um, yeah, about 10 minutes in silent prayer, and then I'll conclude us with a prayer, and you know the drill. Okay.